Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. You know, I had a tough week last week. It was, uh, it was not easy. We had uh, my father-in-law, Ted. Right? Ted uh, had a, a little gathering at his house for Christmas with some of his friends. And it turns out that uh, somebody at the party had COVID. Ted ended up with COVID. Uh, my wife, Kathleen, ended up with COVID. And I ended up with COVID. Now, that's our second go-round uh, with the COVID. We got over pretty quick. Because once again, uh, as we're starting to find out, as the truth starts to come out, you know, we're seeing Twitter revealing all the stuff that was suppressed, is that uh, we had uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine on hand. And as soon as we realized that we were notified that somebody tested positive, we tested, we tested positive because uh, we found out a couple days later, by that time the incubation period was over, uh, we quarantined. And we took our hydroxychloroquine and our ivermectin as per our doctor's instruction. And uh, we got over it. Got over it pretty quickly. So that's our second go-round with this stuff. It's still out there, and it is still dangerous. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I know there's a lot of people say they don't believe in it. They don't believe in the virus. Ted, Ted doesn't believe in the virus. But I think when I talk to him, I think what he really means, he doesn't believe when the government agencies tell you uh, you have COVID. Because remember, there was a time when you might have died in a motorcycle accident and they tagged you with COVID. Oh, by the way, yes, you died in a motorcycle accident, but you also have COVID. Because apparently the hospitals were all getting money for every COVID patient that they had. And, you know, they were looking to, to maximize their dollars. Now, it doesn't mean you didn't have COVID while you were riding the motorcycle and died. But that was not your proximate cause of death. We are seeing... Uh, so anyway, so my point was we got over it pretty quickly. Um, we just did the right thing. We quarantined, uh, stayed at home, relaxed, worked from home. Uh, but I, I really, uh, I wanted to tell you that you be careful out there. You know, we're coming into the holiday season. Everybody's going to be getting together. Uh, we got the winter cause you can have flu out there. Now they're having the, the, the tridemic they're calling it, right? Or triple demic or whatever. The flu, COVID and, uh, and RSV. Now RSV, very dangerous to young people, to very young people, babies under six months. Uh, and then older people over 65. So there's a lot going on out there. Uh, I'm not a proponent of the mask only because I know the mask doesn't really work. You know, the, the size of the germs are too small for the mask, unless you have a professional aeration kind of a mask. So I'm not a proponent for that. And I see Dr. Fauci's now telling everybody they should uh, mask up again, mask up again. We're going into that season. How about just stay healthy? Be healthy, stay healthy, you know, take your vitamins, uh, exercise, eat right, get good sleep, and, and you'll be okay. Uh, now, this whole thing with um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that they told you, you know, you couldn't even mention it. You, back in the day, if you mentioned that on Twitter, they threw you off. You got banned for, for bringing up false stuff. In the meantime, there were lots and lots of really good doctors that were telling you, yeah, this could be something that can help you. Uh, you know, oh, it's, it's, horse, it's horse medicine. It's, it's, not, it's not horse dewormer. It is used in the veterinary industry because it's a it's an antiviral kind of a thing, but it, it won awards for helping humans when they were sick. So I trusted my doctor. 
uh, we got our prescriptions and we had them on hand, which is uh, really a smart thing to do. So take a look around out there. There's places you can go. There's doctors you can get to uh, that are uh, in Florida. And you can have a telemed visit, right? That came out of the pandemic. You can have a telemed visit, talk to a real doctor. And if the doctor thinks it's appropriate, we'll prescribe you the right things and you have them on hand. Uh, even if your state doesn't allow your doctor to prescribe things. Whatever happened to the, to the Trump uh, initiative where, you know, it was okay to try, right? Remember that, that changed that law? If there was an experimental medication uh, that the, the, the uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA wouldn't approve for regular use because they couldn't prove it. But if you wanted to take it, you had a right to try to save your life. So you might try some experimental medication. Well, how come, how come we weren't afforded that same thing here? If I said, hey, I want to take this because I don't want to get sick of COVID and die. How come we weren't allowed to do it? How come my doctor wasn't allowed to say, well, this is what my patient wants and I think it's a good thing. How come that happened? Well, a lot's coming out with Twitter. You know, we're finding lots and lots of uh, things going on. And it's absolutely true. Uh, I had a Twitter account going back into 2020, and I was on it a lot. And, uh, you know, I should just, I just talked. I said in general, hi, how are you? I tweeted things out. I tweeted out funny things, or I talked about whatever was going on in the world. And I was building up a nice following. I know a lot of you out there in uh, Chasing Justice Land, a lot, of, a lot of you jumped on my Twitter account, and my account was growing and growing and growing. And it was really fun to know that not only did we have the show together, but that we could tweet back and forth to each other. I, I actually enjoyed interacting with everybody. My numbers got up to about, I think at, at the peak, I had like 14,000 people on my Twitter. And then all of a sudden I noticed I would, I would do one of the shows with Malcolm, who has a gigantic audience on his programs. Or I would go on another radio program. I went on with Carol Swain on her gigantic program. She's in several markets. And I go on there and I'm talking to people. And instead of my numbers going up, and I don't expect them to go up by thousands, but you figure you would get 50, 60, 100 when you go on a big show like Malcolm's or, or Carol Swain's. But instead, my numbers stayed the same. And then over, over a short period of time, they started going down. Now, there's no doubt about it. My commentary is obviously more conservative than it is liberal. I'm not a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm a constitutional conservative. Uh, I love America. I love my family. I'm, I have a man of faith. I believe in God, uh, family. Uh, I also believe that everybody should should leave other people alone with what they want to do as long as it doesn't affect you. Right? Does it matter who loves who? It does not. Uh, more love in the world is better than less love in the world. I've said that all along. So, you know, if people people love each other, leave them be. You know, get out of their way. I don't know if I, I really see any value in some of the stuff that they're doing with these young kids. Uh, trying to indoctrinate them to all kinds of different beliefs. I don't mind exposing young people to all different kinds of lifestyles and beliefs so that they can think about it. They can consider where do they fit in with, with the world, right? That's what everyone needs to figure out where they fit in. But real little kids, no. Uh, any, anything before high school, I don't think is appropriate because they, they can't even figure out what favorite TV show they like. And they're going to try and figure out all these other things about their life and who they are and what they're not or whatever. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to people learning about these other, other things to see, hey, maybe, that, maybe I fit in there. Maybe that's who I am. That's perfectly okay. That's what they're going to do. But not when they're little. Little kids need to be innocent and to just live their lives. So, so that's that. Now, another thing that we see brewing 
Have you seen the numbers of people coming across the southern border? You know, the secure southern border. It is horrific. It is horrific. And the numbers are growing and growing and growing. And the gotaways are growing and growing and growing. And when Title 42 expires in, in a very, very short period of time, you know, that's the, you know, waiting in Mexico thing, return you to Mexico and you wait there for asylum. I'm not opposed to asylum. America is a sanctuary place for people who are truly threatened by what's going on in their, in their home country. You know, we took in how many Cubans back in the day, if they could get here, they came here and they, they got to come into the country because they were living under communism. And it was horrifying. And we understood they were persecuted. So we brought them in. And that's perfectly okay. But we have, we have millions, literally millions of people who are coming here, not because they're persecuted and they're going to be killed in their home country, but because they're looking for a better economic life. Now, I understand that. How many times have we talked about that here on Chasing Justice? I absolutely understand that. If I was a father with my family in an impoverished place that was difficult to, to make a living, I'd want to go to some place that had it better too. But you can't just walk across the border and come in and say, okay, I'm here now. I'm a citizen. I get all the rights that our citizens have. And no, we, we, we can't allow that. You don't let people just walk in your front door, do you? Right? I, I hate that analogy because that's it is probably the... The best analogy, uh, you know, your neighbor decides that you have a better paying job than him, a nicer car, you have a nicer house, nicer things. So they just decide they're going to come over and walk in your front door and take your things because, well, you got them and I need them. And, and that, is a, that is a good analogy. I don't, I don't uh, begrudge anyone who wants to better their life. Do it the right way. And I know that's hard. And I know that's difficult, but we can't just open our doors and say, everybody come piling in, we'll give you everything we got. Because we can't take care of our own then. And there is a personal responsibility for everybody to take care of their own first. That's your responsibility. If you are on your own, it's your responsibility to figure out how to feed yourself, clothe yourself, and, and house yourself. That's your responsibility. If you take on a relationship, you get married, now, you and your spouse have the responsibility of taking care of yourselves, figuring out how to take care of yourself. If you have to work extra, you have to work hard, you might have to do jobs you don't like doing, right? But that's what you have to do. And if you bring children into the world, either on purpose or by accident, and you bring children into the world, now your responsibility has grown even more to find a way to feed, clothes, house those children, and educate them. That is your responsibility. And, and I know it's hard. It was hard for me raising kids. It wasn't easy. I worked really hard. I always had a second job. I always had a side business going. I always had something going on so I could pay to take care of my family. So I understand the need for people to want to come here because we got a lot of stuff. And they, they want stuff. They want a better life. But you have to do it the right way. And that's why I'm opposed. So this Title 42, when this expires, right now, uh, if you're listening to the... Um, the Border Patrol people, they are telling you they are having about 8,000 people a day right now coming across the border. 8,000 a day. When Title 42 goes away and there's no longer we're returning people back to Mexico, because they are sending some back, you are going to have, uh, they're predicting it's going to double and triple per day. You're going to have 25, 30,000 people. You think you saw caravans before? 
There are going to be caravans coming out of uh, the entire Central America is going to empty out and come to the United States because they're looking for a better life. By leaving our borders open, we are damaging our country. We are damaging the opportunity for our families and our people in America. And we are putting a lot of those people who are trying to get here in danger. They don't just decide to walk and go. They have to pay criminals to take them through. They have to pay tax, so to speak, to uh, be, be shuttled along by these cartel people who sexually abuse the women and children, who kill people, who are absolutely horrible people dealing with, uh, with these innocent people that are just trying to get here. And on top of that, you do have some bad actors mixed into the crowd who are coming here. So let me, let me ask you right now. Let's, let's say this right now. You're sitting in your house, you're in your car, you're living your life, you know, you're, this is wonderful, you're doing the best you can. Uh, and then somebody who crossed the border illegally that has a sketchy history ends up in your community and that person decides to rape and murder somebody in your family. But you're all for the open borders because you want to help everybody. Are you going to be okay with that? You say, well, you know, that's the consequence of, of, of my decision, and I guess I'm okay with it. Is that what you're going to say? How many people in our country, American citizens, have been victimized by people who have come across the border illegally? Victimized, robbed, raped, murdered, drunk driving, killed, all those kind of things that would still be alive today if people were not allowed to just cross over the border and come here. Now, of course, I'm not saying... All those people are like that. So everyone sitting in your basement in your underwear taking notes about Lieutenant Joe? I am not saying that that's who the majority of the people coming here are. But there are some people like that that are coming. There's people like that in our country that do that to each other. But why would we allow more people in to victimize us when there's a process where we can vet them and find out who they are? Do they have a criminal history? Are they a dangerous person? And... What is the merit of them coming here? Because you know what? I'll tell you right now. Some of you out there have great big businesses. You have companies that are doing fantastic. You're making a lot of money. You have a lot of employees. Well, guess what? Um, I want you to hire me. I want you to reach out and hire me. Um, it doesn't matter if I can do the work or not. Uh, I, I want you to hire me and you have you have good paying job and I want it. So I don't have to have merit. I'm just going to join your company. Now, would you do that? Is, that? is that how we hire people? Well, you know, you have no skills. You don't know how to do the work. Uh, you have no experience. But uh, we're going to make you uh, chief executive officer of our corporation here. And hey, good luck. Now, that's kind of a silly example. But isn't that really the same value of letting people in who, ha- who cannot bring anything to our society? Now, the people who are fleeing uh, from real persecution who could lose their lives because of their, their political beliefs or whatever. Those people have a place to come here because we, we want to protect innocent people. But everyone else that's just coming for economic reasons, they have to get online, in their home country, fill out the forms, wait for as long as it takes, go through the process, and then if they're granted American citizenship, then they'll be welcomed here, and they should be welcomed if you go through the process. I find it absolutely inspiring when every once in a while you'll see a news report of 25 people who came as immigrants the right way, did all the processes, went through everything, took their classes, and passed the the constitutional tests, 
to, for citizenship, and then they take the oath. And you watch that and you see the, the pride. I'm proud of them. You know why? Because America really is an ideal. It is a physical place. I mean, we have boundaries. We do have a, a, you know, a specific area that's called America, the United States of America. But America really is an ideal. It is a place for freedom where an individual can grow to, the, to their greatest potential, to their God-given potential. If they have an idea, they can create a business. They can make something out of their lives. They can decide to change. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do something else, right? You can raise your children. You can pray to your God and you can worship your God as you see fit. America is a place where you can rise to the heights that you can go to. Now, I know people say, well, not everyone can rise to heights, Lieutenant Joe. Some people just can't. Well, you know what? That's true. Some people do not have the intellect to rise any higher than they rise in their life. I can only go as far as my intellect and my skill set can take me, right? I can only go that far. Uh, I can't go any farther. There are people that are 10 times, 100 times smarter than me, better at things than me in this country, and they do great, right? I do okay for my skill set, for what I can do. I'm doing pretty good for me, right? And there's people who don't have my skill set, who can't do other things that I can, and they're not doing as well. And that's just how it goes, right? Not everybody can be the most handsome man or the most beautiful woman on the planet. Some people just are lucky that way, right? So we rise to our potential. That is the greatest thing, opportunity. And, and what America brings is opportunity. You can rise. You can get more education and be smarter. If you couldn't get a job because you needed an education, you go get the education. You know, I haven't talked about it too much. But, you know, uh, those of you who've listened for a while, you know my story. My, my dad passed when I was really young. I was 14. He was only 37. God bless him. Uh, the anniversary just passed the other day. He's gone 46 years. Can you imagine that? My dad, 46 years. Joe Pangara Sr. Miss you, Pop. Right? He's gone 46 years. And he, he was an entrepreneur. He was a union electrician. And he decided uh, he didn't want to live in the city. We were from uh, Jersey City area. And he wanted to move his kids to the country, right? So a lot of the families uh, at that time, you know, Jersey City, Bayonne, North Jersey people, they all moved down to the shore, to various towns, all across uh, Monmouth Ocean County. People moved down to, to live a better life, a, a life that was not urbanized. It was suburban, right? So my dad did the same thing. He moved us down here. And then he was traveling back and forth an hour and a half every single day to go to work. Well, I've had to do that for parts of my life. It is exhausting. My son, Alexander, is a union carpenter, a very talented young man. Sometimes he has to drive two hours each way to get to work, depending on where his assignment is. It is grueling. It is very difficult. But he does it. Why? Because he's taking care of his family. And that's the career he chose. And he likes the work. And he, he has to put up with the, with the side things, right? So he's, he's very much like my dad and me. Uh, so anyway, he, my dad uh, moves us down here and is doing this grueling ride back and forth. And then he says, you know what? I think I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to open my own electrical business because I think I can do a lot better as an independent contractor in this growing community that was growing like crazy at the time uh, in the early 1970s. This whole area where I am, you know, the whole idea of condominiums uh, weren't really a big thing until the early 1970s. You had apartment buildings, but you didn't have condominiums, you know, where you own the building part, but you don't own the property. 
And condominiums went up here like crazy. And I got to tell you, we had a pretty good lifestyle with my dad. He was a, a, a union guy who's been on for a long time. So he made good union pay. Uh, but when he decided to move and have his own business, that was a, a chance he took. That was a, a sacrifice for the family. And we went through some difficult times the first couple of years starting a business, going from a regular paycheck, a guaranteed paycheck every week, healthcare and everything else that the union gives you when you're working for with working a job like that. And to say, you know what, I'm going to start on my own. He had to buy a truck. He had to buy all his own tools. He had to get all this stuff. Then he had to go out and try and get jobs. And I, I will never forget as a kid, when I was a little kid, we had, um, you know, we always had, you know, a car, two cars. You know, they were average kind of cars. You know, I don't remember them being, you know, we never had sports cars or anything like that. We always had two cars. But when my dad started on his own, he bought this rickety old truck that I remember looking at it going, what the heck is that? He put the name on the side of the truck and he went to work every morning. He'd be up at five o'clock in the morning, having coffee at the kitchen table, plotting out his day, where he was going to go, where he had to go do jobs. If he needed help, he had to find somebody to help him. And then he started to build his business. Well, I got to tell you, our Christmases and our holidays around here and birthdays up until then were pretty big deals. You know, you had a pretty nice Christmas, lots of packages, lots of things, lots of love. Oh, it was wonderful. And as a kid, I didn't understand that transition. I didn't know what that transition meant. I heard my, they were gonna say, well, you get that truck. I'm starting my own business. Oh, okay. I was probably, let's see, he passed when I was 14. I was probably nine or 10 when he made that choice. And I didn't, I didn't, what the heck did I know about the world? But what I did recognize was that first Christmas was not like Christmases earlier. All of a sudden, instead of, you know, uh, one of these uh, Hallmark things where there's packages all over the Christmas tree everywhere, there was only a couple things under that tree. And a matter of fact, one of the things under that tree, probably the next year, because it was pretty lean the second year as well, I remember opening this package and I had asked for, I had asked for a game. There's a, there was a specific game, I think it was called Chinese Checkers. I had asked for that game, Chinese Checkers. And, you know, it's got the little marbles and you put them on the board and you move them all around. It was, it was, it was a fun game for me. I, I liked it as a kid. And I asked for Chinese Checkers. And I picked up my package and I, I heard something moving around inside. I'm like, oh, it's got to be the Chinese Checkers. I was probably 10, probably 10, maybe 11 at that point. And I ripped this package open, so excited as a little kid. I can see myself as a little kid. I remember being so excited that I was going to get this game. You know, I don't know why I liked it so much, but I did. And when I opened it and I saw the box, the box was like faded. You know how a new game comes and it's brand new and it's shiny and it looks it says Hasbro or whatever on there, whatever the toy company is? This one was faded and a little bit it was torn. And I opened it up and... It wasn't brand new. And I looked at it and I said, why would, why, why would Santa bring me junk? Why would he bring me an old broken toy? I had no idea that because I wanted Chinese checkers, my mother and father, who didn't have any money at that point, they were trying to pay the mortgage and, and feed everybody with this new business start. My mom had to go out and find that somewhere. And she probably bought it really cheap or got it from somebody. And they, they wrapped it up because they didn't have anything else to give us. And here I am. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for those two young people 
striving so hard to do the right thing, trying to build a life for these kids and to have some idiot kid like me say, why would Santa give me this piece of junk, this old piece of toy? I didn't realize it at the time. As I got older and I looked back on that, I was horrified that I would say such a thing. But you know what? I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. You know, you're used to getting all this nice stuff. Suddenly you didn't have nice stuff. The point being is that that was the sacrifice they made so that the business could grow. And over the course of the next couple of years, the business grew. I told you about the condominiums because they had to put up 15 of them uh, in this area, you know, within a, within a, an hour or so drive of here. And my father, as a young entrepreneur, got the contract to do all the electric for probably 10 out of those 15. You know, this was huge. When I look at it now as an entrepreneur myself and I say, can you imagine what that contract must have been to do all of the electrical work in a condominium complex that had, you know, 40 buildings? Uh, unbelievable. His company went from the beat up old truck and him and somebody that would help once in a while to a whole bunch of trucks uh, and a whole bunch of people working for him. And they were out doing these jobs everywhere. And our lifestyle at home changed drastically. I remember the first Christmas, it must have been after he got a bunch of these contracts because all of a sudden the, the, the rickety old truck, like I said, was gone. There was new trucks. We had a guy come in this house and hook up a radio system so that my father could talk to his trucks. That was, to me, that was the coolest thing in the world. There was a bass and my mother would answer the bass. Bass, go ahead, bass, bass, whatever. It was unbelievable to me as a kid who I was now about 12 um, and I started to see this. And then my father comes home with a canary yellow Cadillac. Now, to me, I wouldn't have picked that color, but my father said ever since he was a kid, he saw somebody in his neighborhood had a canary yellow Cadillac and he thought it was the, the most impressive thing ever. And he comes home with a canary yellow Cadillac. And my mother was just so in love with this car, she couldn't believe it. And he says, well, there's your car. You, you have this beautiful car. Well, a year later, we had a second car. And this was a, a white Cadillac, um, I think it was a brome they called them, you know, the big four-door brome. And all of a sudden we got, we went from uh, used games at Christmas to a fleet of trucks, a bunch of employees. Uh, we fixed up the house. He did all kinds of stuff here, put in a pool, and we got two Cadillacs in the driveway. And our lifestyle changed. We took a trip. We took a trip across the United States of America uh, to go see the country. We drove across and then we drove back. Uh, we took a whole month off, uh, and it was just a touch. It, it reminded me of uh, like a, a fantasy that had happened. You know, here we are. We're in California. We're 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 seeing the Grand Canyon. When a couple of years ago, I was getting used, broken down toys, and all because my father was an entrepreneur and took a chance. He took a chance. He sacrificed. My mother sacrificed. Imagine having to make that decision. Um, that, hey, this is going to be hard. It may not work. You're going to leave a, a solid good thing to give a try because if it pays off, it could be great. And it did pay off. It paid off big time. And it was a lesson to me that, hey, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And the reason you can is because you're in America. And that's what America offers, opportunity. He had the skill set and the determination to do that. And he did it. And I'm very proud of him. And I'm, I'm really sad that he's not here. But what a lesson he taught me and my brother and everybody, all my cousins and everybody that worked for him. You could be anything. You could do anything here in America. So with that thought, 
I'm going to take a break and we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulvinone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Okay, we are back here at Chasing Justice. Now, let me adjust a few things here on my uh, Lieutenant Joe desk because we do have some things going on here. Now, you know, here in my studio... Every once in a while, you know, I take a sip of something. And I know you're not supposed to do that, but we're all friends here. This is Chasing Justice. We're, we're all good here. Um, I told you we got over this COVID really pretty quick. And the reason is because we had the medication. But you know what? Even, even on top of that, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's because I've been taking the healthy cell, uh, the immune boost stuff. My, I think my, my immunity has got to be really strong because uh, I, th- that's how quick uh, me and Miss Kathy got over this. So it's, it's good stuff. They, they advertise it on the network here. I've been taking it for a long time. I'm just telling you that I think one of the reasons I got past this uh, so quickly was because I, I take the uh, Healthy Cell Immune Boost. And it, it's besides the COVID, it's, I felt energetic. I feel so much better in the last year that I've been taking this stuff that I highly recommend it to you. So go take a look. It's good stuff. I, so we were talking about the border. That's how I got off on that dissertation about my dad. And I appreciate you coming along for the ride there with me on that. Because, it, uh, you know, like I said, it is the time of year. This is the time of year that he passed. Imagine that 37-year-old guy. Oh, you know, he had his whole life ahead of him. And, and you know, he missed out on his family. Now, I believe he watches over us because I do believe there's a God. And I think uh, he's in heaven. 
uh, and he's watching down over us, you know, uh, and I absolutely believe that. But can you imagine that being so young uh, and, and, and passing away and leaving your family behind? My poor mother, uh, she was only 35, 35 years old. Uh, to lose her husband like that, it was, it was very difficult. And she was a, a, a super, super trooper, super duper mom. Uh, she did what she had to do. She worked and worked and worked and made sure we had everything we needed. I started playing guitar and, you know, I had, I had, you know, cheap, you know, crappy guitars that you get, you know, at the time. They barely made any sound. It was horrible. The amplifier I had was no good. And I was really trying. I had an acoustic guitar and I really practiced on it and I got pretty good. I started getting pretty good on the guitar. And at that point, you know, I wanted to go play music and there was other, other guys I knew that played music, but they had like real instruments, you know, they had like Fenders and Gibsons and real amplifiers and drum kits. And I really wanted to do that. When I was in school, I got to play the trumpet, which was excellent. So music is really a wonderful thing. If you're thinking about getting your kids involved in something, get them involved in music. Music is always excellent. It frees the soul. Uh, it helps you to create. It, it's really a wonderful thing. So I played trumpet when I was in fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh grade and all that. And, and then I, I realized that, uh, you know, you could make an impression on the young ladies if you played guitar. So I got into the guitar. But my mother, who was working whatever jobs she could, uh, we had some life insurance for my dad. It wasn't a lot, but we had some. And my mom went to work doing all kinds of jobs, whatever she could get, doing a job. And I said to her, you know, I really want a guitar, you know, and she was like, well, you know, we don't have money. Maybe you could save up. And I was working. I started at 14. I was working full time uh, on top of going to school uh, so I could help feed everybody here. And I'll never forget one day she says to me, what kind of guitar would you get if you wanted to get one? And I said, oh, well, a friend of mine, Timmy, this kid was an amazing guy, um, Tim Cusain and his brother, Pat. Uh, I think their dad was an NYPD officer, and he, he got shot on the duty, and uh, uh, he lived, but he was, he was injured for a long time before he passed. But anyway, Pat and Tim were great musicians. These guys were unbelievable, and Timmy was such a great guitar player. And I had, I had hung out with him a little bit, and he had a Les Paul Custom, which is the, the do-all and end-all, be-all and end-all of guitars, and he had a beautiful Stratocaster from Fender, beautiful guitars. He loaned me the Stratocaster. Here, you can borrow it. I have two. You can borrow it. And I, I said, wow, mom, I'd really like to, I'd really like to get a Stratocaster. But at the time, they were probably like $700 for a new one. And she said, well, um, let's go to the music store and, and, and you can pick one out. And I said, how are we going to pay for it? She goes, I'm going to put it on the credit card and then we'll pay it off. She says, uh, you give me, uh, you know, $50 a month from your working. Because I, yeah, I made money. I paid for food and everything around here at 14. But I also started saving money. So I said, okay, 50 bucks a month, man, to have a Stratocaster. I'll do it. So we went to the guitar store. And I never, it's, it's like walking in and again, you're like, oh my gosh, look at this, all these guitars. And, and there they were. And there was the Stratocasters. And they looked really good. There on the wall was this Cherry Burst 1976 Les Paul Custom. Oh, it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. But it was $1,200. And I'm looking at it, and my mom says, so is that the one you want? I said, well, this is the one I really want, but this one's 1200 bucks. I'll get that one over there. She goes, well, which one is better? I said, well, I think they're both good, but she says, you really like this one, though? I said, I do. She goes, I do, too. It's pretty. I like the color. You know, the red and the orange and the, and the, and the yellow. It's beautiful. Why don't you get that one? So I did. I bought the 1976 Les Paul Custom, 
and I still have it to this day. And I just recently bought myself a Stratocaster, so I have both. My point being is that uh, on this journey, this personal journey, we have to look and see what opportunity gives you. And that's what, when I see the Title 42 disappearing, and we're going to be inundated with people who are going to come here to try and have a better life, I don't know how well that's going to work out for them or for us. There's only so much that is to go around. Our country is so much in debt with all of this crazy spending that we do. There's, we owe trillions and trillions of dollars that we don't have money to pay back. And, it, and you see the inflation, right? Have you been to the food store recently, right? The other day, Miss Kathy says to me, hey, do me a favor. Could you run to the food store? Here's a list of stuff we need for a couple of days worth of dinners. Um, could you run out and go get this for me? I'm like, sure, sure. I'll run over to the store. Well, I go to the store and I'm going to tell you, as I'm picking up things, and I go to the store all the time. You know, it's not, it's not like this is an amazing thing for Lieutenant Joe. I go to the store all the time, but I don't do the big grocery shop. You know what I mean? I stop by, I grab the milk and the bread and the eggs, and I bring that stuff home on my way from wherever I am. But this time, this was like a two or three day shopping list. And all I got was a couple of packages of chicken breasts and some stuff to go, you know, some potatoes and this and that to go with a couple of meals, you know, some vegetables. Um, I got some uh, antipast because I like a little antipast. I got myself a nice jar of antipast, some pickles. You know, I didn't get a lot. I think I got maybe three bags worth of stuff, three grocery bags worth of stuff, right? I get up to the counter and the lady's ringing it up because jing, 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 jing. And I'm saying, okay, it's probably a hundred bucks worth of stuff. It's a lot, but you know what? I got, I got you know, two or three meals for, for everybody to eat here. $164. I was shocked. $164. I had to look at the receipt and see what, what the hell was I paying $164 for? Well, you saw three bags of food, Lieutenant. It, it wasn't that much. Some salad stuff, a salad dressing. You know, we're, we're talking some of the basics here for a couple of dinners. $160. That kind of inflation and that kind of food costs, that's taking a bite out of Lieutenant Joe. And I do okay. I can't imagine people who are not earning uh, the income that I am and how they're surviving that. This, is, this cannot remain. We cannot allow this to continue. But you know what? We voted for all this, didn't we? We voted for all this. Now, I know some of you are out there pounding your dashboards or slamming your cup of coffee down going, well, everything was stolen. We didn't vote for this. It was stolen. I don't know if it was stolen or not. It seems like there's a lot of hanky-panky going on with this early voting and, you know, these, these dumps of thousands and thousands of votes. But you know what? That's not going away. That's not going away. That's the new paradigm of how we do things here. And our friends on the left seem to have figured out how to have those dumps in the middle of the night when they need, uh, you know, 40,000 votes from a particular county to win a state or to win an election. They figure out how to get those 40,000 votes. Well, we got to figure out how to do that, too. You know, I know they said in this past uh, election cycle, well, Republicans like to vote on the day of the election because they're traditionalists and they like to go in and push the button. And we do. That's true. But you know what? We're losing. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say anybody stole anything. I'm simply saying they outsmarted everybody else. Did they go and harvest votes from people? Yeah, they probably did. They have a system. Is that illegal? No. You, I just heard a guy talking about it today. 
You can go in to a nursing home with a bunch of empty ballots and hand them out to all the people and say, hey, guess what? I will be happy to take your ballot and drop it off for you. Why don't you fill them all out? And everybody fills them out and they probably coach them a little bit on who they should be voting for or they counsel them. Uh, and then they take their votes and they're nothing illegal. They're not, they're not part of the, uh, the election uh, group. They're citizens helping other citizens out. And they take the ballots and the ones that voted for the Republicans, they throw them in the garbage. And the ones that voted for the Democrats, they turn them in. Now, that can be thousands and thousands and thousands of votes. And I don't know if that happened or not. I'm assuming that it probably did. Because where do you come up with thousands or hundreds of thousands of votes in the middle of the night? A truck backs up and here's all these votes. And they all happen to be for one particular candidate. That's a little suspicious. I'm not saying anything. Right? So write that down. I'm not saying anybody stole an election. I'm simply saying it seems a little suspect to me how every time for the last couple of election cycles, we have all this voting going on weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of the actual election day. And on election night, suddenly the mystery van shows up with thousands and thousands of votes for one particular party and they win the elections. Right. I just I just find that strange. We need to figure that out because um, we need to play the same game. We need to play the same games. That's what, that's what our, our, our people in our country are doing now. That's how we do this now. Okay. I do think there's ways we could, uh, we could correct our system. I think with technology today, we certainly could do it. First of all, I do away with this, this early voting. The whole idea of early voting was so that, you know, people who maybe on the day of election day uh, couldn't get to the to the booth because they were sick or their car broke down or something and they miss out and that's not that's not good we want people we want everyone to vote everybody has a right to vote I mean that's what we're part about here uh, and to the winner go the spoils as they say um, but I think you know you're opening to too much potential fraud when you say oh it starts you know a month and a half ago and you can you can mail it in and you don't have to follow the voting laws we change them as we go all that has to be changed I could say. Um, why what I'd like to see uh, is maybe three days of voting, uh, the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. On the 6th, the voting booths open up at 6 a.m., uh, the 7th and the 8th, the same thing, and on the night of the 8th at 9 o'clock at night, they close, and you count up the votes, and that's it. Now, if somebody was out of the country and they did a mail-in ballot that they asked for and it was identified uh, who was getting the ballot and who the person is, that's fine. Then you would count them. Um, I would even count them as soon as they came in and had a running total. And I would even announce that probably uh, on the morning when the polls open. Hey, just so you know, all the mail-in ballots that we got right now, uh, candidate A has this and candidate B has that. Okay, have at it, people. Vote. And then you have three days to get your butt down to the voting booth and actually push a button. We can use biometrics to help us. You can go down, or for those people who don't have a car and can't get anywhere, we can send somebody from the election commission out to your house with a little device. You put your fingerprint in there, boom, boom, and there you register your fingerprint. And now you can vote because we, we have your fingerprint. We know who you are. We know just one person votes. If anyone else votes under your name that doesn't match that fingerprint, that's an illegal ballot. And we know we can throw that one out. Now, I'm not saying that's the perfect system, but you get my point. There's things we can do here. 
in technology today. We move billions of dollars around very securely electronically, right? I think we can do the same with voting. I think we can figure out how to do this. But Lieutenant Joe, why don't we figure it out? Well, in an investigation, when there's money missing, right? Uh, you say to yourself, follow the money to see who benefits, and that will help you solve the crime. So if we have people who do not want to fix the system, who want to have all this crazy, loosey-goosey voting kind of thing where you can send drop-in ballots in the middle of the night, you can harvest ballots from people, you can do all these other things of potential fraud. If you don't want to fix that, is it because you're benefiting from that crazy system? Well, we should prevent either side from benefiting from a crazy system. We should come up with a good, solid system so that it works. And guess what? We have two years till the next presidential election. So we probably should start working on it now. Where's a presidential commission, a bipartisan commission to figure out how we can do this in our states? So every state would have a member, uh, a member board, and they would figure out what they're going to do in each individual state because voting is a state's right. And then figure out how we're going to tally them all up within the three days of voting that Lieutenant Joe suggests. So we have a winner at 9.05 on the last night of voting. And we know who won. And that's that. Then you'll have, people will have trust in a system that is transparent and is not like the one we have now. That's what, And that's what people are saying. When they're selling, it was stolen, it was stolen. Nobody knows if it was stolen or not. It sure looks like there was crazy things going on that shouldn't have happened. Right, And because people don't trust the system, that's why there's that feeling of it was stolen. Right, It was stolen. So this is where we need to fix this. And, and now with all of these millions of people coming into our country illegally, right? Uh, even though our president and his homeland security chief say, oh, the border is secure as can be, he hasn't gone down there and stood there and talked to the border patrol people as... as, as Thousands of people are coming over the border at a time. Uh, he has his and his vice president, who's in charge of the border, uh, hasn't been. You know why? Because they don't want a photo op. They can keep saying it's secure, secure, secure. Because first of all, the media will not question them. Will not go, Mr. President. Have you seen the news clips? Well, not for my network because we don't show anything about the border because we don't want to make you look bad. But on Fox News, they show video all the time. Have you seen that video, Mr. President, and all those people coming across the border? Does that look secure to you? It's all in the definition. You see, if I say people just crossed the border and they took off like the gotaways and they disappeared into the country, you would say, well, that's not secure. But what our president and his homeland people are saying is that, well, sure, all these people come across the border. We monitor them. We find out who they are. And then we tell them they have to come to court in the next two years. And then we send them somewhere. See, so it's not out of control. We're controlling the flow. We're letting them in, but we know who they are. And we know they're all going to come back uh, and have their hearing. And then we, 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 we funnel them into the country. It's nice and smooth. It's not broken. It's working exactly the way we designed it. You see, and for everybody out there that's upset about the border and the way things are going is because we say, can't you see it's broken? They don't think it's broken. It's working exactly the way they designed it. They want all of these people coming into the country for lots and lots of different reasons. Number one, 
I absolutely believe they think that they're going to vote for them. I think they're going to vote, they're, they're going to register and vote Democrat. Because right now, compassion is to let them come in and not wait in Mexico. Let them come in and then we'll do their hearings. And when we find out that they're really persecuted, they can stay. Then the next compassionate thing is going to be, well, we have all these people here and they can't access our American system because they're, they're not citizens. So the only compassionate thing to do is to make them all citizens. And what, does, what comes with citizenry? The right to vote. You see, it's not hard. This is not hard to figure out. The problem that people have is because the media, the majority of the media, will not cover this, will not ask questions, and will not hold anyone in power who's currently in power that they approve of. Uh, they will not hold them to account. They will not go to a meeting and, and, and ask 42 questions like, uh, like the Ducey boy does. Uh, Steve Ducey, right? He asks real questions. How come none of those other uh, great reporters follow up? Hey, you know, that question, Mr. President, Mr. Ducey asked, you didn't fully answer that. How about this? How come we don't ever hear that? How come we hear Ducey ask his one question, maybe get a half a follow-up? Corrine uh, 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 St. Paul, I can't remember her last name. She gives some cockamamie politician round-the-corner answer. Uh, that doesn't answer anything, uh, and then they move on to somebody else, and there's no follow-ups. Nobody else asks about the border. Uh, this whole thing with Elon Musk and finding out that all of this is going on with Twitter, uh, suppressing people and suppressing points of view and doing the bidding of the FBI under the DOJ of, of our Democrat friends. Could you imagine if Trump's DOJ was doing stuff in his favor or trying to push the Republican Party? It would seem like the end of the world. People would be ready to rebel. They would they'd be burning our cities in, in, uh, in rebellion to, uh, uh, to what was going on. But because it's only one-sided and the media side is perfectly okay with all of this, they ask no questions. They do not ask follow-ups. They're not curious about it at all. They, they probably watch Fox News and they see the border and go, oh my God, this is out of control. But we can't say that because that'll hurt, hurt Joe Biden and the, and the Democrats. So... We can't do it. Now, does that sound like I'm annoyed with them? I am. How about you just be truthful and let everybody decide? If the majority of America says, yeah, the border's out of control, people are coming in uh, however they want, they're just walking, and we want that. We approve of that. We want that. And that's what America wants. Then, then we do that. That's the purpose of voting. But you can't vote for something if you don't have the right information. If you're given lies, if you're not told the truth, if you're given half-truths, if things are ignored. You know, a lot of people say, well, if it ain't on the news, it didn't really happen. And they don't watch Fox News. They watch, uh, you know, NBC, CBS, all these other left-wing channels. What they should be doing is listen to America out loud. If they did that, they would get some facts. They'd get some information. They'd be informed like you are, my friends, here in Tra Chasing Justice Land. So I'm, you can see I'm getting amped up over this. Um... I thought it was interesting that California Governor Newsom uh, came out recently and he said, Mr. Biden, uh, if you get rid of Title 42, you're probably going to break California. We are at a breaking point with taking all these illegals in. We can't do it anymore, right? We, we, we can't undo the Trump, uh, Trump Title 42 because it will break California. Well, it's interesting. How far... Are they willing to go when their policies finally come home to roost? 
right? It's nice to have these good thoughts. You want people to come in. I think it's not good thoughts. I don't think it's uh, altruism uh, that they want all these illegal people to come in here. That's what they say it is, and who can argue with that? Who doesn't want to help other people, right? Of course, we all do. We're Americans. But I think they say that, but what they really want is they have ulterior motives that they don't say. Uh, and it's all great when it affects you, when it affects them. Now you're starting to see a little bit of a different uh, change in pace. So uh, Governor Newsom now is out there complaining that if you if you take away the Trump-era uh, uh, Title 42, we're going to have a hard time here in California. So he's asking them not to because now the rubber's meeting the road. And they know where a lot of people are going to go. They're going to go to the beautiful weather state. They're going to head on into California, the golden California, where they have unbelievable welfare system for people, where they have tons of giveaways for people, and they're going to break that state financially. And, the, and Newsom, uh, as, as swarmy as he is, he knows that as well. And that's why he's starting to say, hey, wait a minute here. This is really going to be bad. So I don't know how horrible it's going to be, but I, I have a tendency to... Hope for the best, but be a realist and say, uh, when they talk about these caravans that are coming, once people know they can just walk across the border, and, and they're not being checked for COVID. They don't have masks. They were allowed in, right? Two things you could do in America during the pandemic. Uh, you could uh, enter the country illegally with COVID. Nobody cared, wouldn't test you. Um, and you could protest and burn cities down with no masks and no COVID tests. What you couldn't do, remember, you couldn't go to church, you weren't allowed to go to church, but you were allowed to buy your booze and your marijuana. You were allowed to do that, but you couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't open your business, but you could certainly protest and you could burn buildings down and you could attack police and all that stuff. Do, do, we, do we see the chaos that our country is in? When this border is this open, when we see the crime that is out of control. Now, Chicago... Apparently, the mayor doesn't want to put out reports anymore of crime statistics or, or they don't want to say what the police are working because it's becoming too much. And I heard another person today talking about it, and they said there, there was a report that, that people listen to um, the news about just before they go out of their house. They want to find, is there a shooting going on down my block? Is there a crazed gunman killing people at the food store before they leave? Because that's a reality for lots of people in these cities because of the crime. So I know I'm jumping all around here as we get to our last couple of minutes of our get-together, but the whole concept here of this chaos and, and Title 42 coming down and you know opening the borders and having crime out of control, prices are out of control, you know, it's only because people still have work uh, that it's not falling apart. As we start to see big businesses laying people off, if we do have the full-blown recession uh, that everyone is looking for, um, then I think it's going to be really tough because then what do you do when you can't feed yourself, when you don't have any money? Is the government going to spend another $7 trillion to keep us all home again and give us just enough to live? Is that where America is going? Well, there was a time that would have been absolutely unheard of people would rather starve than take a handout. Now, people would rather take a handout than do anything else. Just stay home and take the money, right? So I don't, I don't know where we're going here, and I don't want to be pessimistic. I'm simply saying this is really chaotic. And as I've been saying for, for a while now, is how, how sustainable is it? But you know what? We voted for this, and that led me off on the voting thing.
If everybody was overwhelmed at the price of things, they would have voted for anybody but the people in power. And they didn't. They voted for the same people. They voted to keep this going, right? So I didn't vote that way. And I know you probably didn't vote that way. But half or more of our country did vote for the status quo. Let's keep it going. Let's keep these policies going. This is all good. Who are these people that voted for this? And I know, and that's where the argument comes. Well, they faked it up, Lieutenant Joe, and they stole it. I don't know. Um, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But it should have been so overwhelming that they, they didn't have enough fake uh, votes to, to win. But the fact is that they did. And people voted for these policies. We have to face that fact. We have to face that fact that enough of our fellow citizens think what's going on is okay. It's, it's all right. It's, it's not a big deal. Open borders, crime, uh, hate the cops, uh, attack your neighbors, steal things, do whatever you want. Uh, everybody seems to think that's okay. Uh, so therefore, that's what you get. You get what you vote for. So we have to consider what our next move is. And I think the move is we have to have uh, great candidates, I think our Congress, when they take over and we have Republican control, they have to elect a strong, super strong speaker who's conservative. Well, you know, we have to we have to take a stand. We have to fight back like the Democrats. We have to stand united instead of cutting each other's throats all the time. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not gonna be, I want to get along. I want to don't get along. Win. Do the right thing for the country. That's what we need to do. So in these coming weeks. I want us all to think about what we're going to do in the future, how we're going to vote, who we're going to talk to, and if we're going to try and make things better or if we're going to sit back and settle. Well, I'm not for settling. Lieutenant Joe wants a better country for everybody, for every American. And I want to thank you for being here on Chasing Justice, and we'll see you the next time here on America Out Loud.